you for tuning in as we celebrate our 100th episode. Plan to party down memory lane. (laughs) Cue it up, Phil. Welcome to the War Nomads podcast, delivered by War Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveller. Hi, Kim and Phil with you, acknowledging our 100th episode from our very first on Croatia to this, our 100th. So far, we've had 252 guests join us and 32 amazing nomads, and we've racked up well over a quarter of a million listens. But the question is, have we improved from our very first episode? This is the first episode. Are you pumped, Phil? I am so pumped. Can you see how I am? I'm really looking forward to talking about adventure, independent travel. And particularly since you are fresh from holiday, you are fresh for this podcast. I know. Get me while my energy levels are high. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Let's get into it. My name is Kim, and in this episode, we're shining the spotlight on Croatia. We'll catch up with British expat Paul Bradbury and find out about the island paradise. Hava. Have I said that correctly? Hava. Hava? Hava. Hava. Okay. No. No. (laughs) We haven't. There is certainly a lot that ends up on the cutting room floor. Here, amazing nomads hurrying. Here. (laughs) But as we found out, and it's attached to the article we found of Catherine's, it's a bit of a sad story. Hang on, isn't her name Caroline? Oh, sorry, Caroline. Now, a reminder to join our Facebook group. A reminder to join our (laughs) Facebook. A reminder to join our Facebook group. A Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> Possibilities are huge and could range from easy ideas like sleeping under the stars and witnessing natural phenomena. <laughs> it was about 75% complete when construction was stopped during the Asian financial crisis back in 77. 97. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can we stop? Sorry. Going to have to go again. Sorry. Yeah. My fault. <laughs> Complete pros here, you know. (laughs) All right, hang on, here we go again. Sorry. Take 300. (laughs) Do you want to make money and travel at the same time? Then stay right there and we'll show you how to do it. Nice one, Phil. Thank you very much. Some of your best work, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, you're always doing great work, Phil. Thanks very much. Am I increasingly taking the mickey out of you? Yeah, I think so. I'm sorry. I love how people think we're married. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a lovely, happy marriage, though. It's great. (laughs) Now, it wouldn't be a special episode without a special guest, and waiting to chat is Andrew McCarthy. He is an actor, a travel writer and a television director. Now, he starred in the 1980s film St Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, your favourite? Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Plus, he directs a whole heap of TV shows, Orange is the New Black, as an example, Frankie and Gracie, and more. All right, but how do you make the transition from actor to travel writer? That was all just kind of an accident, you know. Uh, I I suppose after I'd been in a bunch of movies and all that, I started doing, uh, I started travelling the world. I did what you folks in Australia do, just sort of get up and go around the world. But when you do it in your early 20s, I sort of did it around 30, I suppose, after I'd uh, come up for air from making all these movies and kind of went, well, what's going on in my life? Let's go see what the world has to offer. And so I started traveling and then uh, that changed my place in the world pretty much. Uh, And I I walked through a lot of my own personal sort of fears and things about the way I existed out in the world. And so then I, I... started uh, writing about it. Uh, Someone suggested I keep a journal, so I wasn't a very good journal keeper. Uh, 
because everything was sort of the same, sort of like the food's bad. Why am I here? I want to go home. And uh, so I just started uh, writing about encounters that I had with people just, just purely for myself to sort of keep myself sort of grounded on the road. And, uh, you know, I often, I always traveled alone. And so I it just was something to sort of keep me company at, at times. And I did that and I found it a very sort of solidifying experience. And I would come home from my travels and throw those little notepads in a drawer for like 10 years. And then one day I had no intention of doing anything with them. And then one day I did. And I just started, I met an editor of a magazine at a party. I said, you should let me write for your magazine. And he said, uh, you're an actor, dude. And I said, yeah, but I can tell a story. That's what I do. And so he thought that was a good answer. And eventually I convinced him to let me write an article. I said, you know, if, if, if you don't like the article, you don't have to pay me. He said, okay, I can live with that. And so I started writing and I, I wrote one and it went well and I wrote another. And then I won some awards for it. And of course, the minute you win an award for anything, you're a genius. And then I was suddenly was able to write for different outlets that I wanted to write for. And it just became a uh, sort of a career uh, of, on its own there, which I had no intention of. Um, but it did tap into the same kind of things that uh, acting had first tapped into for me. It made me feel like myself out in the world, the same way that acting, when I first acted, I felt like, oh, there I am, you know. So uh, to the outside, I suppose it seems very different kind of how does one turn into the other but to me they were sort of exactly the same i just felt like me when i did them both yeah did you like study travel writing at all formally no i read that i had read paul theroux someone gave me um paul theroux's book uh the old patagonian express and i thought that that book changed my life in the sense that uh it had never occurred to me to travel like that. Just go, go far away, get out of contact, don't come back for a long time and get lonely, get to, you know, all these things. And, uh, you know, which you, the kind of travel that you Australians are very familiar with, I had never done or known anyone that did. Um, and so that, yeah, Paul Thoreau's books, and then I, then I sort of devoured his other travel books. And I loved his voice and the way he uh, sort of... Uh, attacked the world and just interacted with the world and not in any kind of touristic way, but in just sort of uh, um, encounters with people. And, you know, you're free to be some, you're totally unencumbered emotionally and sort of your character history is sort of left behind when you travel. So you can just sort of engage with people freely, you know, and uh, I really liked that. And so, uh, I suppose he was a great uh, inspiration for me. You did take the words right out of my mouth. That's kind of when I was thinking when you were referring to us Australians. I was thinking, how do we like to travel? And we are very relaxed, aren't we? It's not the touristic experience. It's about capturing the stories and meeting the characters. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, you guys are great at that. It just it seems a much more sort of meeting people as opposed to seeing sights kind of thing from the Australians. And, you know, you guys are very game when you travel and just interested and extroverted travellers do largely. And I'm not an extroverted person, so I could travel, you know, and not talk to anyone for days uh, and still have a great time. But uh, I do find when I sort of engage with the people in the world, it's a much more a richer experience. What Part of that sort of um, getting away and, you know, losing contact for months at a time and going very remote, is that based on the fact that that you're not recognised? Were you trying to get away from that sort of Hollywood shtick where you might be recognised walking down the street? Well, I mean, yes, and that's an easy sort of thing to say, I suppose, but, you know, it's the same reason other people travel for a long time. It was really more about myself than getting away from anything. I was going towards something, not running away from anything, really, and I would be recognised when I travel, and that opened 
like I said, I can be fairly introverted. So people would recognize me in places and that opened a lot of doors for me when I traveled. And so that was, that was nice. And so I don't think I was particularly running away from anything so much as I was going toward, you know, I found myself the further away from home I got, the closer to myself I got. So I, I was going toward that as opposed to running away from something. Where's the weirdest place you've been recognized? <laughs> I was in, um, I don't know if it was weird, but I was in uh, Berlin in 1989 when the wall fell. And I was there on one of those nights, those exciting nights when people were taking sledgehammers to the wall and whatnot. And, uh, <laughs> so some guy with the sledgehammer's turned to you and has gone, Blaine, what are you doing here? Well, well, a, a, a German guard grabbed me. I picked up a piece of wall off the ground and he grabbed me. And I was like, <laughs> and uh, he, could have, he said, come with me and, uh, in English. And I was like, oh, my God. And I said, I, I'm sorry. I was just taking everyone was doing it. You know, and he just <laughs> grabbed me and took me aside and he goes, Catholic boys. Oh. What? And Catholic Boys is named one of the early yeah. films that I did here in America. It was called uh, Heaven Help Us. But in, in Europe, it had been called Catholic Boys. And so he'd seen Catholic Boys and loved it. And he just wanted to chat with me about it. <laughs> so um, that's so after, it, after a short bit of waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I was in the Amazon. I was in Manaus, I think. And someone recognized me from Weekend at Bernie's. And I just <laughs> You also, we mentioned, obviously, actor, travel writer, uh, award-winning author. We haven't thrown that in. Um, You're an award-winning travel writer, but a director. I'm wondering how much travel has changed the way you direct. Has it made you a better director? You know, what made me a good travel writer was, or successful at travel writing, is um, that... I inherently knew, tell me a story, don't sell me a destination. You know, so I was always looking for what the story was. For example, I, I you know, I went to my editor at Nacho Travel and I said, how about we go looking for the perfect cup of tea in China? And he said, that's interesting, but what I just did China. And I said, okay, how about we go looking for the perfect cup of tea in Darjeeling, India? He goes, yeah, go do that. So it was the story more than the destination that always drives what I would write about generally. Um, so I was aware that it was always story, story, story. And in directing, I direct a lot of television, you know, and uh, it's always what's the story I'm trying to tell? What's the story? As opposed to what are the cool shots or what this is a cool moment, but the, but does it have anything to do with the story that I'm telling? So you always, it's like this ridiculous mantra. You're always like, what's the story of the whole episode? What's the story of the scene? What's the story of this particular shot? What am I trying to say in this one shot? Is it just cool or is there something I'm trying to say in this shot? And so that the writing really sort of fuels and reminds me always to go back to that. I think Phil's got something he wants to to do. <laughs> no, no, I'm just no, before I do that, I do I want I'm, I'm, I might hide I'm going to hide under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll get into it, all right. Look, I've been obviously preparing for this, I've been reading some of the work that you've done and this is one that actually sort of spoke to me uh, quite well. It's um it's a while ago now, it's back in 2010 when you did it. It's about the last real beach town in Brazil. Oh, in Brazil, yeah, in Canoa Quebrada, yeah. yeah. Great place. Right. I'm glad you pronounced that instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> It yeah. means broken canoe in English, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I've, I've even got some sound effects to go with this one, all right? Do so. I need to hide under the desk? Is this going <laughs> no, no, to be cringe? Canoe <laughs> uh, existed as an undisturbed fishing settlement for centuries until the hippie crowd discovered it in the 1970s. The locals simply shrugged at the strange interlopers and over time word leaked out of an ideal by the sea with a friendly mix of people and a distinct abiding microculture. When I arrived there in the mid 90s to film a movie best forgotten, we won't ask. <laughs> the place's lonely, inviting quality got under my skin. 
and then you go on to describe a little bit of what it was like. But then this is the bit that really spoke to me. So, but memory is a funny thing. I was single when I was here before, with the not unpleasant feeling of being untethered in the world. But perhaps, perhaps that's one of the reasons I took to the place so strongly. Like many supposed paradises, Kanoa seemed to attract people who have no ties, or at least people who'd like to think that that way. But rather than let the place live on as a kind of festering fantasy, I wanted to see if Kanoa's particular kind of paradise still existed, or whether it, or I, had changed enough in the meantime to put it out of reach. Oh, beautiful, Phil. And yeah. look, so- soundscaping. Yeah, soundscaping. Yeah, incredible, yeah. yeah. I think the script was the hero of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Do you go back to places as you have there, and, and how does that enlighten how you've changed as well? You know, sometimes I think in travel as in life, many times once is enough. <laughs> and um, but other going back to places, it you know the journey is always an inward one, right? The further away you get, the further in you can go. And I think what makes journeys most memorable is what happens inside you as you when you're there. It's not you know I don't I don't care what I saw in the museum. I don't really remember that generally, yeah. um, but. I do think when you go back to places, you see how you've changed and your relation to the world has changed. And uh, I, I find that often going back like that, a powerful sort of temperature taking of something in barometer to see where you're at and how you've changed in life. Yeah, I, I, I love going back to certain places like that. Yeah. And, you know, you exist so much. We have this idea of this life that we live, and then there's the real life that we live. And they're constantly coexisting. I, often, I still have this fantasy life that I'm living that has very little to do with my actual real life, with a home and three kids and jobs, and, you know. But I have this other fantasy life where I'm off alone doing stuff, and it's like they're coexisting constantly. Um, so I, I do find going back to be a valuable uh, thing. And, you know, sometimes getting your bubble burst about places is a good thing too. Because in that article about this fantastic-sounding place, by the way. It is great. Yeah, it was great. And it had changed a lot. There was When I went back, there was a paved road. I hear there are more paved roads now. And there was electricity night when there wasn't when I first went. You know, and it was very sort of steamy, sexual sort of – it just sort of reeked of that kind of, you know, dark corners and people just sort of doing whatever they wanted in very little clothing. And it just seemed kind of, you know. And just on Phil's performance there, uh, Andrew, how would you <laughs> – oh, no, It was do a it? lovely performance too. It was a lovely dramatic reading, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> Oh, lovely. Look, one of the things that you you bring up in the article about going back in places, changing and what have you, and T-shirt shops and what have you, I mean, we're heading towards two billion international travellers. That's a lot of people out there and, and a lot of places are getting overrun and sometimes that means that they they change or the experience that you can get when you get there changes too. Yeah, but I think we have to be careful too of the nostalgia, you know, these, we have this, you know, can have this nostalgia for our youth or our, you know, like I do not, I, I, people are always disappointed when I don't look back on these Brad Pack movies with this great, you know, yearning. It, it meant much more to other people than they did to me often. So, and, and when we go back to places, the same kind of thing, like, oh, it used to be like this. It's like, you know what, get over it, dude. Life just keeps moving forward and that's how you want it to be doing. You know, you don't want it to be exactly the same, you know? So, um, but yes, people traveling world and beating the hell out of it you know i i think 
there's nothing better that we can do than travel the world and create world citizens for our, out of our children, out of ourselves. You know, America would be a very different place if we got up and left, you know, what's it, 41% of Americans have passports, half of us have ever used them. I mean, it's appalling. So, and um, you know, when you go out into the world, the Mark Twain line is the greatest line ever, you know, that travels fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. So, I mean, I, yes, we're trampling Venice and Amsterdam and these places, but I'm not sure what, the, but I, I, you know, I'd still tell people, go to Amsterdam, go to Venice, see it, go there, be respectful of all these kind of things and don't leave your plastic and all that stuff. But I, I do think the world is gives such rewards to us and we can take back and make, uh, they change us and change our relationship to home so much. America, like I said, America would be a much less fearful place and make much fewer fearful decisions if we got out there and saw the world more. It's a funny thing, and, and, and like, you know, over 50% of the people listening to this podcast right now are American, so I mean no disrespect, which is always the, <laughs> which is always the intro you do before you're disrespectful, right? But when, when Australians think of travel, we immediately think of going abroad. But I'm fascinated by the fact that when Americans say travel, they include travel across America. And it is a huge place and it is magnificent, but there's a kind of different mindset about what travel is in the States that I find it hard to get my head around sometimes. Look, it's just fear. It's just fear. Americans are very fearful and they don't want to, you know, and people say, oh yeah, we'll see America before you see the world. And all I hear in that is fear, 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 fear. I'm afraid, you know, and I just think that's unfortunate, you know, uh, and travel isn't always just about having a great time. Travel is about experiencing things, experiencing yourself in places and in uncomfortable places and uncomfortable situations and asking for help, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I, I think Americans don't travel simply because we're afraid. And yes, they're great, fantastic places in America. And I like to go to them too. And I go and I do, and it's great. But uh, I just think it's pure fear. Well, I absolutely love your travel philosophy. And yeah. we would love to round out the chat with some of that Hollywood gossip. Oh, well, can I just ask one other question? Can I, before we get into that, can I just ask one more? It's all right. Yeah, that's Sorry, okay, Phil. Okay. No, go Thank for you. it. Okay. Phil, Phil is fanboying. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bunch of questions from my wife as well, but I'm not going to ask them. It's all right. Yeah, let's hear them. <laughs> yes, Molly was lovely. Um, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, she just said hi. That's all. <laughs> we, there was another association you've had with World Nomads when you were judging the Solo Travel Awards, which we sponsored with Solo Travel as well. And you said earlier on as well that, you know, you, you always do you travel solo, but you've got a family as well. Do you do? You do- oh, I don't get to travel solo near as much as I, I want to anymore sure now i um i'm family vacation guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that you no, can still not. Travel and you, can... you know i do think like i said earlier creating little citizens of the world and taking yeah. the best gift i can give my kids is taking them you know and traveling with kids is a great adventure i mean we go through the airport and i go through the security and my kids are like dad you beeped and like everything's an adventure for them yeah so i don't want to you know be out there on my own for months at a time i, I miss my kids i want you know that you know when you find yourself going oh i wish so-and-so could see this, you know, then it's time to bring so-and-so along. Any Hollywood questions then, Phil? No, no, it's just my wife says hi. (laughs) But Molly was nice and what was Rob Lowe like? (laughs) Rob's Rob, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's charming and self-effacing and uh, he can laugh at himself. He's a good guy. Do you ever catch up as a a group, as that Brack Pete, Pat? (laughs) 
you know, it always disappoints people. The, the problem is it just never existed even to begin with. You know, yeah. it was a media creation that happened because of one magazine article. And then uh, it is such a catchy name that it caught the sort of zeitgeist of it all. And it was just nothing that ever even existed in its, you know. And those movies, it, it's a funny thing. The whole Brat Pack notion was originally cast in sort of this disparaging term for um, these punk kids who were getting famous and supposedly rich. And then over time, over the decades now, it's evolved into this kind of affectionate, you know, look back through rose-colored glasses of our youth, you know. the So people of a certain generation, um, I'm talking to you, Phil, <laughs> you know, <laughs> look back on up. that youth. You know, when the world was a blank slate in front of us and anything was possible. And so those movies take on a meaning that they probably didn't really have. But they, you know, when we're in our early 20s and stuff, we just, when we're discovering the world for the first time, it's like when you travel for the first time in your early 20s, it is just, you are the first one to ever discover New York City. And that's as it should be, you know? And it's the same thing those movies bring back, a certain patina of youth that people never want to let go of, you know? And I represent that to a lot of people, which is great. I think I'm all for that. I'll have to watch St. Elmo's Fire across the weekend. What are you playing? Yeah, I think you might be disappointed. You go, Jesus, really? That's huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably better to let it live in memory. Like, I, you know, people talk to me about, uh, I went to Anchor Watt like 25 years ago. And it was, that was, there was no one there. And the idea of going back now, I hear all the things that have changed about it. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to go back. I'll let it just live in my memory. So uh, your plans for 2020, what's next for you? Have you got another book on the horizon? Are you still directing? Are you doing any acting? Well, Where do you plan I, I to travel? Am, I'm tra- my next travel is I'm going to Easter Island for a story, and then uh, which I've always wanted to go to Easter Island. So uh, I'm doing that, and I'm directing some television shows. And uh, I'm actually doing a little acting. I haven't acted in a number of years. I'm doing a little acting. I did a bit on this show, 13 Reasons, and I'm going to do a little some bit on this show called Good Girls. And uh, and I'm just doing some more directing. Yeah, You're living the life, Andrew. <laughs> if you say so. Thank you so much, Andrew, who, by the way, messaged us to say he enjoyed the chat. Oh, good. <laughs> Look, uh, we enjoy getting your feedback, and you can do that by emailing us at podcast at worldnomads.com. That's the best way to connect. Or search for the World Nomads podcast on Facebook. We've got a, gri- a group there. Mike says, I've been listening to the show from the beginning, and it's one of my favourite podcasts. Have you considered doing a show on Tristan de Kuna, Builders the Most Remote uh, uninhabited, oh no, inhabited island in so the world. We haven't improved. No. <laughs> do you want me to do that again? No. Okay. No. Why would why would we want to do that again? Uh, Morgan loved the podcast on women in travel. Thought it had a lot of great content, but she wished it was a little more inclusive in language. She said it, it was glossed over briefly, but yeah. sexuality and identity present a lot of challenges in all aspects of interaction in our societies and while travelling. And she thinks it's important to acknowledge that and therefore eliminate speech that says men do this and women do. That's okay. taken on board. All right, about Tristan de Cahuna, uh, Ian said, I'd, I sailed there around 1979, spent a couple of spectacular days. I was on a sailboat boat heading back to Cape Town from St. Vincent. Did quite a bit of sailing in my youth, retiring and going to hit the road once again. Ian is currently in Peru backpacking. That's not a bad effort. Well done. I know. And from Jamie, hi, love the podcast and content. Have you ever considered a podcast episode on youth travellers? She's 19. She has a bunch of crazy travel stories. And have met so many other youth solo travellers, she thinks, a podcast on how so many young people are beginning to explore the world would be super cool and inspiring. Yeah, that's actually a good point then. Yeah. Starting out on the road. First steps. Like crawling. We'll we'll put some of those in 
next year. That's right. That's a snapshot of the type of feedback you give us and we can reveal we'll be bringing you more audio in 2020. So tell us what you want to hear or learn more about, perhaps uh, what you aren't getting from other travel podcasts that we can deliver on. Yep. Plus, we're taking the podcast on the road. Haven't told the boss, but the more times you say it... This is a good way. (laughs) It becomes a reality. Okay, we promised to look down memory lane, so here's a snapshot of just some of the 252 guests who've shared their knowledge and experience with us from their travels. I spent two weeks in Sicily um, at one point, which was incredible, and had multiple life-changing experiences when it comes to food. I actually had a sandwich that made me cry. Whenever I'm traveling, I really start planning any trip really far in advance, and that just gives me more time to kind of figure out, like, is the destination accessible, or what attractions can I do, what restaurants can I eat at, and how can I get around the city ultimately? We went to these very remote islands that um, some of which are completely uninhabited. There's absolutely nothing on them. And then others have small little villages. Most of the people in these villages are all related. It's a few small, uh, well, a few large extended families that make up these communities. So when I came up with the idea, it's like, okay, I know one the snow has done this and I love travelling to Africa, it's kayaking. It was just that ultimate light bulb moment, right, this is what I want to do. So that was sort of the easy bit. The next bit was how. There is so much more to Indonesia than Bali and if you don't go and venture outside to the other 17,000 islands, like um, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. The most notorious tree food we have is uh, the embryos, the palut. Not everyone can eat it, not even Filipinos, so you can see the chick. There are no feathers or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you put them out, it's soft and it's, it's actually quite good. Oh yeah, it's a stereotype, I believe, you know, that Middle East is not the safe place. But you know what? Take my word. It is one of the safest places to travel in the world. I mean, people should move on now. So I'd like to go back and I'd like to explore uh, different parts of it. I'd like to go in the summer, hoping to find more greenery. <laughs> We had this idea that going on this honeymoon, we would transform into those sort of people that you see on Instagram, like those travel couples that are just like, just really blonde and they have like 25 abs and they're super fit and they do yoga every morning. We just thought that's what it looks like when you travel. These are unfenced campsites. So a lot of the tented camps and lodges across various parks in Africa are also totally unfenced. Regardless of your accommodation, the animals can be passing through your camp and you know, they don't necessarily care what you're in. Every time I see someone dragging this enormous bag around behind them, think, oh, I need this, I need that, I need something else, you don't. You know, you, you and you soon find out you don't. It was kind of the skill set I had to offer. So that was the open door for me. And then from there, I learned everything I could. And now, um, six years later, I'm an expedition leader. You know, music fans, they've probably heard of Nashville and Memphis, but Clarksdale, Mississippi is somewhere that's really important for blues music. And it's somewhere that you really have to go out of your way to visit. And the only bathroom on this plane is like inside the cushion of one of the seats. There's apparently it's a lovely like mahogany wood toilet seat. <laughs> There's like a privacy screen that pulls up from the bottom and apparently just hits shoulder level. <laughs> well, White Cliffs in general is one of those, you know, uniquely Australian places. Most of the local residents live underground because of the incredible temperatures that happen all year round, but particularly in summer. Our boats are huge now. We carry up to 40 people. Obviously, the bigger the boat, the bigger the cage. And we put eight people in a cage at a time. So we attract 
attract the shark to the boat. Do you want to know which is the very best part? The Spanish bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Lolivia, the little Spanish enclave in the middle of France. Who would have thought? I had a friend who's been living in a van for like the last nine years or so, and I just thought it was cool. For me, I need the practicality and the consistent income to feel comfortable. So once I saw that that was an opportunity, I really like started thinking about making it happen. I mean, broadly speaking, what surprised me about traveling in this fashion is how straightforward it really is. It can look like this absolutely daunting prospect, but really linking A to B the whole way through is a pretty straightforward process. And there's just endless accounts of, you know, people wanting to give you a helping hand along each way. Having that place become a big um, disaster tourist amusement park where young people who are going to hopefully go on and procreate visit in the hundreds of thousands. That's a terrible idea. We're very candid people. We like um, hugging and kissing. Like whenever you um, arrive to a room, even if it's full of people, you will just kiss everyone. And so saying um, hi and bye takes ages. And I picked up, guess how many hitchhikers? 54. I thought two. I was going to go 108. Okay. 3,000. Oh! <laughs> Who were the people that were hitchhiking? Everyday Africans. We have this trust that people are kind of the same no matter where they are and that it maybe wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. And uh, that's overwhelmingly what we found. We really had no incidents that were even uh, remotely dangerous or scary or anything like that. There were days when we were sort of hugging each other, uh, you know, in tears. Uh, wondering why we've done this and then other days when you're looking at a sunset with a herd of elephants by a river drinking a, a, a cold can of um, of Hansa beer and thinking wow thank you to everyone the bloggers the experts the travelers authors and our own world nam- <laughs> and our own world nomad staff for their contribution here's to 2020 fill in our next episode we'll hear from our world nomads to find out where they plan to travel to in 2020 yeah we'll reveal the top places to visit based on our most popular episodes and a sneak peek at some of the guests and destinations we have planned for next year bye, bye. the world nomads podcast explore your boundaries